Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Did we talk about our SOBs show? Our secret SOB show? The fact that we had a show at SOBs in New York City? Oh, my God. You know, guys, we want to let you in on a little, little nugget of information that we haven't told too many people about. <laughs> we haven't put out dedicated episodes to it or anything. No. SOBs on January... I'm so used to saying it. January 10th, 2018, yeah. be there. It happened. It happened. And thank you to everyone who came out, who supported, who uh, stayed for two hours hours afterwards like any good jewish goodbye and yeah. uh got kicked out by by the staff of sobs at the end of the night we told stories about Vinny from jersey shore we told stories about harvey weinstein we told stories about nick cannon air india air india that went over very well we performed a whole bunch of our music it was just great times and upscale vandal came out we did a live version of shark tank on stage yeah he listened to ideas and uh the best part was we were like hey if anyone has anything that they want to talk about you want to you want to push your your casper mattress you want to push your squarespace account you want to push your podcast Come on up here and talk about it. And Jeff was like, no, no podcast. No podcast. Everybody's got a podcast. And everyone wants to talk about their podcast. Yeah, we don't need to hear anybody talk about their podcast. But shout out to everyone who was in the audience who had a podcast and wanted to talk about that on stage and use our platform. To All 4,000 people who have podcasts. Congratulations. We know you have a podcast. Yes, but congratulations to us. Another great showing by It's The Real because... That's what it said right behind us. <laughs> yeah, perfect showing. A perfect showing by It's The Real. There's going to be a lot more shows. Toronto, Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta. Keep naming cities. Philly, Washington, D.C. Grand Rapids. <laughs> we're we're going to be... Topeka. Actually, we should mention, if you live anywhere near Northeast Ohio, and we're yeah. talking Cleveland or Akron, even Buffalo and Western New York. Yeah, the lowlands of uh, Kentucky... You know, any place where T Grizzly robbed, um, you know, you, you guys wherever should, the nappy roots are from. That's right. You guys should see us on January 28th. We know it is the same night as the Grammys. Right. And we have wisely decided that we are going to forego all the parties surrounding the Grammys and we will be in Northeast Ohio. Lovely Akron. Yeah. In the middle of the winter. Oh, I thought you were going to be like in the middle of Ohio. <laughs> it is... Um, we're doing a panel, and it's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Shout out to yeah, Just Crisis. Um, We're going to be talking about building a brand and being 10 years into the game. I got to say, I, have, I take a little issue with the event because it, it, it says branding basics. Yeah. Oh. And I think that they're talking about us. us. Like, we yeah, we're are basic. basic, and how are we going to brand ourselves? Damn. Yeah. Well, wait. If, if we buy into that, if we're, like, you know, enthusiastic about how basic we are. Yeah. Isn't that what we're talking about? Then we have then we have branded ourselves. Yes, we are basics, branding basics. We need to figure out how what we're going to do in Akron because so far um, we've had a few people reach out to us and tell us what to do in Northeast Ohio. Yeah. Um, apparently there are strip clubs. Yes. That we can go to during the day. Also strip malls. Strip malls and strip clubs. Yes. The branding basics. <laughs> so if anyone has any idea as to what to do in Akron on a Saturday. Sunday no, and part of a Monday. It's only we're only there for Sunday and Monday morning. Oh, we fly in late on Saturday. Yeah. So if there's anything overnight that you want us to do, yeah. What what's a crazy <laughs> night in Akron like? I guess we'll find out. Yeah. January 28th is the date that we're going to be out there in Akron. We're going to be speaking on a panel. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come here. A lot of our stories, um, some of them will be true. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, look forward to that. Again, more live. It's the real shows. And thanks to everyone who came out to our show in New York. Jeff, today on the podcast. Today in the podcast, we have New York Zone. <laughs> Upper West Side Zone. Boston University Zone. Wow. 
Rich Kleiman. Rich Kleiman. Who is Kevin Durant's partner in all of his businesses. He used to be Kevin Durant's agent. He used to be just Kevin Durant's buddy. He used to be just Jay-Z's buddy. He used to be Wale's manager. Yes. He used to be a lot of things. Solange's manager and Meek Mill's manager. Yeah. And there's a crazy story about his experience at Boston University that I don't want to ruin for the people out there. Yeah. But Rich Kleiman, who you may recognize from the very, very, very background of those Kevin Durant podcasts that he does with Bill Simmons, they don't mic Rich Kleiman very well, but Rich is there. If you wanted to hear his story and you wanted to hear him mic'd well, yeah, then, this then, is the podcast for you. Then come to death row. That's right. I would say this podcast is great for a number of reasons because Rich Kleiman, first of all, is a great storyteller and has so many stories to tell. Rich Kleiman's story is one of overcoming long odds, believing in himself, outworking everyone else, finding his lane and dominating it. Taking Chances, Getting Cosigns from Heavy D, Puff Daddy, Mark Ronson, Q-Tip, Jay-Z, John Manili, J. Cole, Meek Mill, Wale, Victor Cruz, Kevin Durant, and on and on. Listen to how Rich, a man with no undergraduate degree, turned his unbelievable experiences around music and TV production and entrepreneurship into a master's degree in real life. Jeff, when do you want to get into this? Uh, Right after I tell people, I want people to subscribe, but most importantly, to rate our podcast on itunes you think that's the most important thing to well i mean to rate i think no the the most important thing is to listen oh (laughs) oh yeah yeah. commenting would be great too yes so do that all right yeah listen to eric but also listen to me great yeah jeff when you want to get into this right now yo what up it's eric aka flow bananas aka gerber baby food yo what up it's jeff aka what's slapping in aka fly swatter (laughs) i don't have one like that i didn't even know that was coming (laughs) But what's up? Well, just say who you are. This is Rich Kleiman, a.k.a. Rich Kleiman. <laughs> yeah, this is a waste of time, but this is the real. Rich, what's happening? What's good, man? Energy. Yeah, Energy. yeah. I like it. I you like got it. your coffee? I got coffee. I got coffee. It's my third coffee already. I a like fellow it. West Side, Upper West Side Jew. Oh, man. <laughs> we are a dime a dozen, aren't we? <laughs> we, we? We really are. We saw you last uh, on the actual West Side. We were at... Uh, this is the actual West Side. Well, yes, but we saw you on the West Side of this this country of ours. Oh, that's right. We were at um, Lenny S's uh, Halloween, Halloween party. party. And you yeah. know how, how... I don't know if it was weird for you, but like being in a different city and walking into a room and everyone's in costume and like they expect you to know who they are. Yeah. It's just like I... Like, take yeah, I didn't... Re- honestly, the only two people I recognized the whole <laughs> night. Were you guys even in costume? I had a um, an off-white... Uh, costume. I, I just put the word costume on my sweatshirt. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I knew who you were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you recognized yeah. me, even without. I, just had a, I had a wig from the gas station and glasses because we landed. Uh, where was flying from? I think we Kevin had just had a game in the Bay, I think, or somewhere. We just flown into L.A. Found out Lenny was having a party, and found. And I knew I have never. I've been to Lenny's first Halloween party, I think. Uh, and the year I know was 1967. 1967, <laughs> man. The, Lenny's full name at that time was still Lenny Santiago. That's right. That's right. Um, but I don't remember when it was. But and I know it had grown into this like mandatory costume thing. So I didn't want to be that guy. So I went to the gas station. Got you um, put in the least amount of work. Least right. amount of work. I got a wig and some glasses. But somehow I threw everybody off. When you've been bald since you were like 18 <laughs> years old, you put hair on. No one has any idea who you are. Really, 18? I mean, I shaved my head when I was 18, I was in college and we went out, I went to a club one night and it was like, you know, when you, I'm from the city so we think that we really 
like we partied, but I went to school and these people from like outside the city partied. They were like <laughs> on another level. So I was whatever. So the party was insane. <laughs> and it was one of those like, was, oh my God. <laughs> so I had never really done all that shit and seen all that shit. Woke up the next day, we're looking at pictures and everyone's like, look how fucked up we were. And I'm like, well, hold up. Look at my hair. Holy <laughs> shit. I'm like, is that what my hair looks like? They're like, yeah, man, you bald shit. <laughs> And I was like, it looked like little, like I could see my scalp, like my head through everything. So I just shaved the shit that day. <laughs> so I've been shaving my head since I was 18. That was it? That was it, man. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, everyone in my family, I knew what was happening. My brother was bald. My father's bald. Really? My mother's bald. She, my, mother, <laughs> my mother's not bald, but you know what I mean. Is she a listener here? Does she? Nah. Oh, well. She don't even know what a podcast is. <laughs> where are you originally from? Right here. No, but where? Like where, Right here. Where were you born? Here. Like Lenox Hill Hospital? Like where? Uh, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, yeah. And what about you guys? Uh, I was born in Lenox Hill. Oh, nice. And then Jeff was born up in Westchester. Yeah, so. don't, don't well, do we, this. Oh, Westchester. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you softer then. <laughs> <laughs> what up, St. Agnes out That's there right. in White Plains? Right, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, why were they in Westchester for you? Uh, we moved up. The the We got a big house up there. Oh. Yeah, because, you know, uh, I'm a twin. And no, so no. the the house, the you can't have, like, you know, a million kids in one room right. down here on Roosevelt Island. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so you moved to the Burbs. Yeah, yeah that was it. That was it. Look at burbs. us now. Look at yeah. you now. <laughs> and oh, then 10 years on the Upper West Side. star studded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was growing up on the Upper West Side like? Uh, growing up on the Upper West Side, man, it was, I was, I was lucky. It was good. It was, yeah. a, it was, a, it was a nice place to grow up. Um, you know, it was, it was peaceful. It's beautiful. I think like in, in the city, the Upper West Side to me is funny because it's really like a haven. Like whenever I'm in Midtown in New York, I'm like, I got to get the hell out of New York City. I don't want to live here no more. I want to live on in L.A. I want to live in Miami. I just want to get out of here. As soon as I get back to the Upper West Side, I remember why I live in the city. It's just like, and the West Village is the same way. And I grew in, I lived in the West Village a little bit. So I'm fortunate. These are neighborhoods that like I was fortunate to live in. Well, that's what they are. They're really neighborhoods. They are. Yeah, yeah they're they just are. like quiet places. Yeah. yeah. But I think the Upper West Side way more um, than the West Village or Tribeca is a different kind of culture that you're exposed to, even in living in a pretty affluent neighborhood, right? So it's like, I used to go play basketball, for instance, all the way up Broadway. Like it was like almost like the better I got, the further uptown I would go. Right, mm. and it led me to being uh, like allowed in the gym at Riverside Church. I was just I literally say mean yeah. allowed in the gym because I never they never let me play. Like, but at that point there was no AU level, so there was no like an A team, B team, C team, D team. So I just was allowed in the gym. Mm -hmm. I remember someone was like, the coach told Ernie Lorch was his name, and it's not even a good name to say, the guy right. fucked his whole life up. Yeah, yeah. But um, I remember they were like, yeah, you can come in the gym. And to me, that meant I played there. They gave me like a jersey. I never stepped on the court and played. Really? So I remember I was telling OG Juan that I played Riverside Church, and he was like, get the fuck out of here. You never played at Riverside. I'm like, I did. He's like, man, what team you playing? I'm like, I didn't play in any team. And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, they just let me in the gym. But that was a big deal. So like, I went uptown and started playing on like 99th and Amsterdam. I played in the Midi Parks and 84th and Amsterdam, and then they became all my friends. So like, I was able to really get in to hip-hop at such a young age because i remember someone putting a walkman on my ears when i was in like the fifth grade and it was nwa and i was just like what the fuck like they're just fuck the police i didn't even understand the message clearly but the shit was just insane and then i remember i was just like bang out to gangsta gangster i was just love it so i'd be on like the liberty lines bus until four on my way to fieldston oh my god and then when i come home i just like run to the park yeah and throw that shit on so wait did you go to ethical to start yeah man tough ethical culture yeah yeah bro it's tough in there. <laughs> 
it's tough, man. It's crazy. Were you always like tall for your age? Yeah. Yeah. And so what position were you playing in basketball? No, but I like the again, bench. it's really hard. It's really no no no. I was no, but no. I said at Riverside Church. But the thing is, is like it's really tough for me to talk about sports now because I'm around the greatest athletes in the world every day. So, like, right. my stories are embarrassing. Right. Well, do, you ever, do you ever tell Kevin you're just like, yo, I, I, could, always, I could wash you? I always <laughs> talk about basketball with him, and he's just like, the conversation is so abrupt. Man. Like, <laughs> I played one-on-one with his security guard last year, and I busted his ass. The security guard, I thought I was bumping. I was like, yo, you saw that shit? He was like, you're trash. <laughs> and it's like, and I remember I was telling him this story once about how I chose to play basketball in my freshman year in high school and I stopped playing football but I thought I was really good at football and he was like why'd you stop I was like oh I just want to focus on basketball he's like so you go pro I'm like no <laughs> I'm like bro what I'm like nah no people have ethical didn't have thoughts like that right. you might have thought it like in this like weird subconscious we knew the truth which was like we're right. not playing basketball but um so but in for my school and my yeah. group i was that guy but like well who were the other schools that you would play against in your league well grow i mean it, the obvious ones you know like the dalton, dalton <laughs> the dalton tigers <laughs> but there was like a period in when rt every team every, it's like in the ivy league in college how like it, princeton was really good right and then mm -hmm. like harvard's really good and penn's really good so we had a run for like two or three years where we applied to play these like PSA tournaments and Catholic uh, Catholic League tournaments, so we were able to go play in um, Glens Falls for the state championship. Truly, yeah. like the Class B state championship. So Class D, yeah, yeah. And we played against like, and we were, Norwich was there, which is Christian Leitner School. This school, um, I don't remember this. Uh, this other school, this guy Bob Laser was there. There, everyone on these teams were going to Division One schools. So I was like, but well, this is my time. They're like, I'm going to get recruited now. Yeah, you know? I'm going to get recruited. So the um, I was a sophomore starting playing on this um and this like state championship semifinals all our families are up there and they put out this like playbill it was straight hoosers up there like yeah. everyone's on the street with like signs and it, it was 1995 but it could have been 1965 and i remember we were in like these vans on the way to the game and it really felt like we were in like hickory indiana right and i look everyone's like running to the um program and it's like senior uh, Tom Kleiman. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I'm a sophomore. Second of all, it's rich. Like, and, and you know, there's not like a computer program at this point. So like, that was it. I wasn't fixing the program. So I'm like, if any college coaches here, I'm clearly not blowing them away. And if they're even thinking about talking to me, they're like, well, nah, Tom's a senior. Fuck him. And I'm like, this shit is horrible. Then to top it off, we get blown out in the semis and the paper, which I still have, is a picture of Tom like Bob, Bob Laser just posterizing Tom Klein. Oh. So that was it, man. I went to BU and like I was playing at like city bullshit, like telling everyone back home, like yeah, I got a little scholarship. But yeah, like I was like not really. Boston University is not known for its basketball program. No hockey. Yeah. Go yeah. Terriers. Yeah. So I went to BU. You went to BU. Yeah. I was there longer. <laughs> Uh, talk about your BU experience. No, I was not there long at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went to BU and I just, my, like, again, like I told you, I thought we partied in New York. And then I got there and I was like, these kids from outside the city are insane. He's <laughs> like, I, I just never seen anything like this. So I just wilded it out, man. I just partied my ass off. And then I picked up, like, a little side business when I was in Boston, um, which is crazy because now I'm like, fully entrenched in the sports world so it's probably um 
taboo to say it, but it really doesn't matter now because I just work with Kevin. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but I, just, I, I ran a bookie operation in college right. and I crushed it, man. It was insane. I went up to school. It was 1995. It was the beginning of the year. And I went to this sports bar and it was Mariners Yankees. Mm -hmm. And I remember everybody was betting on the Yankees. And I'm a Met fan, so everyone's like, "Man, you you know a bookie? I want to put like a you know 500 to win this or 1,000 to win this." I didn't have a dollar, and they're like, "You know, you're college poor. I don't have any money." Um, and and my parents really like they were supportive of me till 18, but at 18 they just that was it. They didn't give me a dollar. Once you shaved your head, yeah. Once I shaved my head, they're like, "We're not. Come on, man." Um, so I remember I called my brother, who I knew was a degenerate gambler, and I was like, um, "Yo." these guys want to put a bet in with a bookie. And he was just like, um, shit, I don't know. Uh, my bookie's probably, his bookie wasn't fucking with him, but he probably owed him money. <laughs> and he's like, let's just take the bet. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's just like, take the bet. Like, fuck it, let's bet on Mariners. I'm like, well, what are we going to do if we lose? He's like, I don't know, man, we'll figure it out. I'm like, all right. So I told these guys that we, I had a bookie. So like, I was writing down on a napkin. It was like, this guy wants thousand, this guy wants five. And I'm like, calling my brother in the payphone, like, but they want a thousand, but what's the picture? Isn't there odds on baseball? I'm writing all the numbers down. We watched the whole game. I'm bugging out. Like I'm running to the side room. I'm running back in there. I'm running outside. I'm like chain smoking. I'm freaking out. And then I find out after the game, and I find out the Mariners win. And, right, like and, and I, extra and, innings, right? Yeah, yeah. And I and it was like you know that was like Griffey and A Rod and Tino Martinez yep. and um, and Edgar Martinez. So I go up, I call my brother, and I'm like, "Yo, these are all the things." And he's like, "Man, we won nine thousand dollars. What the fuck?" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yo, send me that shit." I'm like, "Hell no!" I'm like, "I'm bugging out here. I'm not sending that shit. We'll split it." So I split it with him, and then he was like, "Yo, but promise me you're done." And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. Because I was his little brother. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, I've never held $4,500 cash in my life. So I'm like, nah, okay. I promise you I'm done. So that was like during the week. So Sunday morning, um, I wake up and I get like my phone's ringing off the hook. And everyone's like, yo, I want to put in this bet, this bet. I'm like, word? I'm like, fuck it. So I just started taking bets. That Sunday night, it was Sun. It was Tampa, Denver. Denver's uh, 14 point favorites. I mean, John Elway's playing. I guess yeah. how long ago this is. I remember this like it was yesterday. They're 14 point favorites. And I basically have everything on that game because at that point, it's like you're talking about just like 20 kids at BU. So they're all betting. They all got their parents' money. They're all losing money. I probably up whatever. You know, numbers probably seem crazier back then than they are now, but and they everyone bet everything on Denver. You know, everyone at that point, you, you down, you double it on Sunday night, so they put everything on Denver, and it was like one of those moments again where like I was like, what the fuck? If I lose <laughs> this game, not only do I not have the money, but like now I'm out money. I was like, I got any Tampa to win, like they were, and they were horrible or cover, right? Yeah, and Tampa loses by like twelve, and I get. Like Monday, people are calling me. Tuesday, I'm checking people's names off the list, and that just spiraled into a bookie business. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I had people sending me. I had clients at Wisconsin, clients at University of Miami, clients at Michigan, clients in Berkeley. I had uh, security guards that ran the clubs in Boston collecting for me. I had a marketing professor at BC Night School because when you're running a book and you're at BU, you end up in BC Night School the next year because I was all <laughs> fucked up and. I had 125 clients. I mean, Holy I had this shit. guy lose $15,000. He came in, he called me from downstairs. He's like, uh, I got 8,000 in this TV. I'm like, give me the TV. Like, <laughs> and I took the shit, like, and I was crushing it. Then I, I left school, came back to New York. Wait, did you leave school because you were conflicted because you were a student athlete and you were like, you want to know what? <laughs> I was not a student athlete. Um, I was a student 
bookie. Right. Yeah. Um, and I left school. I, Were I people betting on well, the BU games? Like, no, 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 no. But someone tried to double down. Someone was down a lot of money. They tried to double down on Harvard Yale football on a Saturday, and then had then called me later on the night like, "My dad's gonna kill me. Like, you gotta pay me, man." Um, you had no heart. I, I didn't leave school really. Like school left me. You know. Huh. Like, was, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a deep quote. <laughs> We, have, we, we weren't seeing eye to eye anymore. Uh, How'd you explain it to your parents when you showed up back in New York? No, no, no. They knew. They got you know that they were still. Wait, were they in home. like fifteen thousand dollars in the <laughs> yeah. hole? No, they were. They, no, they were killing it because their son was at, you know a few hundred yeah thousand fixing the books yeah safe in my closet. So I went back to New York and I remember this kid from Boston was like, "Let me run your shit in Boston." And I was like, "All right, you run Boston. I got this kid in Miami. This kid." I started taking bets in New York. New York's a different animal. And like, long story short. There's a whole different uh, climate in New York, and they those people were running an operation in New York, and they weren't trying to have me taking the amount of action I had. It so, was you against the OTB. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. worse than the OTB, and uh, that business went away like just in the drop of a dime. Like I remember one night I had to make a choice like, if I was going to really like go to war for this business. On Holy some, shit! Like, Ace Rothstein shit. Holy which shit! I wanted to, but um, I your brother told you no. Yeah, well, my brother was one of the people that told me no there's people telling me to go like fuck it keep going but then i just stopped and is it too late to for me to tell you yes like go to war <laughs> no it's never too late yeah. there's always action yeah but um and that day i just stopped and like realized i had to get my shit together you stopped cold turkey yeah did you still get phone calls from people yeah for a while so from like so i stopped at 20 or 21 so from like 18 to 20 21 had a nice bit of money you know, for me at that age. And no degree, by the way. <clears throat> no, nothing. Yeah. Um, and then I was back on the Upper West Side, just like fucking around, but I had some money. So like, then from 21 to 23, I probably just spent all the money. You know what I'm saying? Like at that point, I was just like living in New York, going out every night, traveling, going to Vegas, going to Miami, and just living it up. But I don't regret, that was incredible because while I didn't get the college experience, I had a bunch of friends that also were out of college or weren't going to college or never were going to go to college. And we just kind of lived it up. Like I moved down to South Florida for a little while. And that period of time. You really were like a gangster. <laughs> no. You moved down to Miami. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. I was like, I was chubby and moved to Miami. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so then when I was down in Miami, that was when I was like, all right, when I go back, it's time to get like a little bit of a life. Mm -hmm. Wait, but real, real quick, back to the bookie stuff. You didn't have a cell phone at the time, right? No. Like 95? I, like... I had a beeper. Oh, you I did? I got a cell phone in 96. Same number I have now. Really? Two years. Do you still get phone calls for, for no. action? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so I, I, that, I started using my cell phone to do it. But I would take my cell, I would take the things and write it on like a loosely, like those like composition books. Yeah. Like those mm -hmm. things were like my like writing book, you know, like from the front to the back. I could see like week of 116, do, 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 crossing everything out, just the math all fucked up. I'd be up yeah. all night like <laughs> doing with like the old calculator and shit. And then the cell phone came on and that really confused it. I actually liked the idea of like, if you didn't get the bed in at one, mm -hmm. I really had like three hours off. And like, I didn't even know, I had to wait. I, I didn't even know my number at four, you know? So like when the bets were coming in, I knew if everyone took one game, 
that I was probably doing well if that game didn't win. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I wasn't adding up the juice or the vigs. I didn't really know my number, so it was really screwed up. So it was like at the end of the night, I would go and look through all the pieces of paper, <laughs> look at the ticker on the bottom. Who won the Vikings game? Yo, did the over the over come in? Then add up, be like, oh shit, I won forty one thousand this week. That's crazy. It was crazy. Yo, people have all the information on their watch now. I like know, it's you. <laughs> so you didn't go to any classes. You were just like no, at home, no. just. No, when I applied to be an agent, it was me, Jay-Z, and Juan applying to be an agent. And Juan and Jay-Z didn't, I think Juan finished high school, but Jay, like, everyone knows he didn't finish high school. Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, when they ask you for your education experience, I'm like, well, shit, I went to BU for a year. Like, this shit is going to look insane. It ended up backfiring because they were like, they didn't really, I mean, we were going to become agents, the three of us, but... Um, and they didn't have the test at that point. It was different things. You had to show a certain bit of like experience, negotiation experience. And I remember um, they, Jay and Juan got in right away and they asked me for some follow-up because it looked worse why I guess I had gone to school for a year and didn't finish. Really? 20 last, years ago? Yeah, well, this is 15 years ago. Yeah, I swear yeah. to God. So they asked me for my um, transcript. Mm-hmm. So I'm like <laughs> telling the attorney, like, you know this shit is going to look horrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, and he was like, doesn't matter, they just want to see his transcript. So I ordered my transcript. I'm at my house. This thing comes in from BU, and I open it up, and I'm like, it says like A, A minus, B plus, B. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, <laughs> you were killing no, it? No, no, no. Listen, I'm like, did I, was I crushing it the whole time? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, this ain't me. And they sent me like this. Oh, they sent you Tom. They sent you Tom's. <laughs> no, no. Oh, yeah, Tom climbing. They ended up sending me this person's transcript from so far back. Like, I I don't remember if it was what decade it was, but it was ages ago. Ended up getting my transcript, and this was it. Incomplete, what kind of clown college did you two go to? Like, crazy, right? Incomplete, 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 incomplete F. Oh, my and God. And I was like, that's mine. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's it. And I was like, this is insane. Like, And then I fell back because I... I have two. I have two kids now that are eight and four. So I think my. I only had one at the time. This was probably six, seven years ago. And I'm like, my poor father busted his ass to send me to school, and this is how I treated it. Right. Like, exactly. This is horrible. <laughs> like this is absolutely horrible. Because you were hanging rich. out with a bunch of cokeheads you know, you, from you Long know, Island. You know the kind of Upper West Siders, right? You guys. Yeah. I probably feel like you guys are the same, right? You, yeah. You have money. You have more money than a lot of people in in the world you run in, and we can't complain. We right. had nice, healthy parents, and we lived in a really safe neighborhood. But we weren't, I mean, there's right. apartments in the Upper West Side where you can be rich or you can just be cool. So we were cool. So my father, now looking back on it, I grinded probably to send me to college. And I fucked it up. But it's it's all right. I made the, you know, I, I think he sees that that was part of my journey now mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't ready, you know, emotionally or socially to be in school or whatever the case was. So whatever route it took, I think he sees like, all right, now, and he appreciates it. For sure. But And me, college isn't for everybody. No. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, if my daughter did that, I will flip out, you know, like beyond the money, just like how could you abuse that privilege in that situation? Because mm-hmm. I know half of our foundation, I mean, Kevin and I started a foundation and we're partnering with um, – was a look, whatever, and we're announcing it in a month, but I don't think it'll get to where it's supposed to get from here. But mm-hmm. we're partnering with Lorene Jobs, and we're building this like wow. incredible college prep center in D.C. And everything about this center is to send kids to college, kids that come from these underserved communities, kids that don't have a chance, come from broken homes. That's all of our resources and hard work going towards that. I was fortunate enough to just have that from yeah. my father, and I just fucked it up. So it's like that shit gives me perspective in, in how I parent and how I like look at things 
because that's crazy. Like, how could I have done that? How could I have gone to college and just been like, oh, I appreciate all your work, saving up your money, drop me off, and I'll see you later. I'm not going to go to school. I'm just going to run a book. Yeah. And you can't even have any of my money that (laughs) I make. What did you want to go to college for had you not? No idea. No idea. Like, I, I did for one quick second, like, be like, let me get on the basketball team, and that'll be cool. And then I was like that's not going to be cool. Like, I'm not trying to wake up and do that. And then I was like, girls, like, this is did you even have a major? No, no, I honestly don't know. Did like, you even have girls? Yes. <laughs> yes. I did have girls and I partied and, and, but I, you know, listen, most people roll their eyes at me. I really credit that experience a little bit. I was, I think in a weird way, I was kind of like, as much as like city kids think they really have it all and they know it all and you they like I got street smarts like what the fuck come on man like we again that's where culturally we were at you know we thought we were exposed to certain things and we weren't yeah right we just weren't that wasn't real like we weren't really in it right so I didn't know shit I probably was like the most immature of anybody out there because in you know I I didn't have the most like functional family I wasn't in a neighborhood where I had to kind of fight for myself in any way. So in some ways I was sheltered, right? But I was like sheltered in this like dysfunctional fucked up family. So now I'm like in BU and I'm like, wait, so I'm all by myself. Hmm. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, this is ridiculous. Like there's no such thing as Sunday night, you know? like. (laughs) You know that feeling on Sunday night that everyone in the world gets? Yeah, where, yeah, like, where it's like, I have to be responsible in the morning yeah, or something? You just feel yeah. sick. You just start thinking, you're like, no, I'm like, shit. And you start, like, just, you hate everything for a minute on Sunday night. I was like, wait, I don't have to feel that way. Your whole thing Sunday night was like, Tampa better cover. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, well, yeah, Tampa better cover, so Monday's popping. Um, you and Kevin completed the exact same amount of college time. Uh, no, he probably has a has year more. more credits than me. That's right. crazy. Probably in, like, piano. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he has a year more credits than so, me. When you come back to New York, before you go down to South Florida, like, do you have any type of plan? Do you have any expectations on what you want to do? So I started like wanting to be in the restaurant business. Really? When I went to Florida, because like, I'm looking at, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I like being out and about, and I love being social and personable. I don't want to be in the club world. And it's a good front. It's a, yeah. It's a good front. No, that, that, I thought about that, and it was like, <laughs> that was like the shit, you know, like you watch these like, mob movies and like except for the the maid guys the only other guy that's like holding it down is a guy who runs the establishment i'm like watching carlito's way and i'm like i want that office on the second floor yeah i don't want to be all the way in in the in the family bond i'm trying to you know i'm i'll run the racketeering and i'll work upstairs yeah you guys can go catch a body i'll sit there i'll sit there out so i'm like i'm gonna reach you two times you get the papers get the papers exactly so i'm like um i want to do that you know, but so, but you know, I wanted to do that. Meaning, I wanted to go down and like have my own restaurant. I wasn't really ready to grind. Were you going to be an investor, or are you going to be like just? Oh, I don't fucking yeah. Know. <laughs> I was just saying I was going to be down there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually went down. I went down with my buddy Raphael, and he had some connections in the restaurant business, and we were just like, let's learn the business and come back and open a restaurant. But did you actually learn the business, nah. or did you just like throw money at it, and you were like, neither. Into a single thing. We, it was, in my opinion, it was my final chapter of doing nothing in my life. Mm -hmm. Those five months, six months, I was in South Beach. I was at the Boca Diner. I was at the Intercoastal. We were fishing. I'm 21. I don't even know how I was getting by. I think it was the last of my bookie money because my parents had not given me a dollar at that point. So it was the last of my bookie money. And I'm in Florida and I hit a wall there. Like at that point, 
I mean, The Sopranos came out. I was watching that shit. So I was like kind of torn, but like I still want to run my own restaurant with my own bada bing. And then I was like, but what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is insane. Did you hide your cash like Tony hid his cash? Like, <laughs> I know. The opposite. I spent it, which I think like subconsciously I was like, let me get rid of this shit. Yeah. Like, this is such like, this is giving me such a false idea of how this works. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to have, you know, $15,000 in cash in my pocket. I have never worked a day for that money a real working day blew my father's opportunity gave me in college and i have no direction right now yeah but i knew i was a smart kid i was pretty connected in the city from a young age like i just one thing i did was like keep relationships i knew everybody i've been out and like i didn't jason strauss and noah tepperberg built an empire richie akiva runs his club empire i've known all and they're all at my wedding i've known all of them so i was a kid, young so i was 14 Crazy. right <clears throat> but I didn't do that. I just was in it with them. So I knew everybody. And that's what I did. I just partied. So like I knew enough people that knew I wasn't a fucked up kid. So it's like I know if I try to get into something, then I have a network of people I could talk to and I have relationships. I understood, you know, what kids would do. I was one of them. I was a kid that would know about music first or, you know, know about a sneaker first. I was in it. I wasn't a sneaker head. I wasn't a like... You know, when I listen to Stretch and Bobbito, but I didn't need to wait up. Right. Like, if someone had the tape a week later, I'll listen to it then. I just, the only thing I was passionate about the entire time through all of this was sports. So it's like, that was my vice in everything. I knew every basketball player, everywhere they went to college. I knew every team, every GM. Where their president. injuries were. Where their injuries <laughs> were. I knew everything. Where, who I needed to injure in order to cover a spread. Yeah. Like, all that shit. <laughs> No, but I, that was it. So it's like that was my only real passion. Like I went out and partied and was social, and I was just obsessed with sports. How hard was it to be a Mets fan in the mid '90s? Horrible, but <laughs> like, but it it's crazy. You didn't buy into like Butch Husky and like you know <laughs> no Butch Husky. Um, that's crazy. You said that. No, but the thing we is, bring a Butch Husky in every podcast. Right, yeah, 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 you yeah. should. Yeah, man. we ring a bell whenever. I, I, I should have said Rich Climate, aka V Butch Husky. Yeah. Um, but what happened was I, I think it's weird. Like thinking about how many teams have won a championship, like a one-off. Like why did the Dallas Mavericks win the champ, the, the the NBA championship like six years ago? Like no one will ever talk about that. Or eight years ago, that was irrelevant. They'll, they'll talk about it in Dallas. In Dallas, but I'm saying is we think the '86 Mets were the shit. They like, were that they were, but they won one World Series, man. Right. No, and then, I mean they came close. Eighty-eight. Close, but you know how many teams won one World Series and then come close? But we swear by them. So it's like people are like, "Yo, you're a Met fan. They suck." I'm like, "Nah, man. Eighty-six Mets." And it's right. like, but really, I just watched the Doc and Daryl biography the other day. Yeah, a documentary. And I'm looking at their numbers, and like they were good. And I know this is pre like Juice era, or whatever. Right. But their numbers, Doc's numbers were really good. Yes. Daryl's numbers were shit. <laughs> they really were. Like, well, he, he was, was on a lot of like, drugs. What do you want from them? But I'm saying, like, even his best years, when people talk about like what could have been, like, it's not like he was Albert Pujols and then all of a sudden he was like, you know, had, was three times suspended. He was nice and everyone. His swing was beautiful and right. he represented so much. And it was a different era. And no one had seen an athlete like that. And they were really polarizing the two of them. Doc's numbers are staggering. Like he had five, even the years he would get suspended, he would be like 18 and five with like a 2.2 ERA. Yeah. And, but was like on Coke the whole time. Mm -hmm. Daryl's shit was like 250, 30 home runs, right. 85, 90 RBIs. It's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe it's just like we're well, skewed. Did by you the play now. basketball better on Coke or not? <laughs> I, honestly, I have never, ever done drugs. I, oh, no, that's, I'm not, never, you know, I've never done Coke. Right. Yeah. But, 
I probably I probably would have played at BU if I was on <laughs> I probably would have made a team. Um, so you get you get all your stuff out of your system down in, in South Florida. You yeah. don't get into the restaurant business. I didn't even really. I didn't even start. You. Oh, that's not true. I did some other crazy. Go, all right, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, how do you get back up to New York? So I come back up to New York and I lived, I moved in with my brother and I told my brother I want to go to restaurant school. So I told them I was, I think this was, again, the last of like my bookie money, right? So I was like, I'm going to go to restaurant school. To be a chef? No, but check this out. So I'm just like, I did everything so, um, uh, like, Hastily. By the books, no, oh. hastily. So if I, yeah, so I would be like, I want to be in a restaurant school. I would go like in the yellow pages, like that night. I would have to. I would do no research. I would just be like, I got to go to restaurant school. I'm going to restaurant school. Fuck it. So you weren't doing coke. You were just acting like a cokehead. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I remember I looked up and it was like NYRC or NYRS. That would make more sense, right? New York Restaurant School. So I'm like, this is it. Yeah, this that's the it. one. That's got to be it. Yeah, it has so the name. I call up and they're like, yeah, we do like front of house, back of house. Um, all this shit. So I sign up for this school. I go down there. It's on Varick Street. It's on Varick and Canal. or Va Yeah, Varick and Canal. And I go into this school, and I went there for an entire year. My pr It was a sh sh kitchen where chefs were training on one side. All these people want to be in front of the house or be in the, in the service center. But they wanted to open, like, their own Beefsteak Charlie's and right. shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it was really pretty, like... Is the opposite of like uh, sophisticated would be what? <laughs> I don't want to be offensive, but um, not sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> Midtown. So, mid <laughs> so the shit was horrible. Like, but I and they had like a smoking room in there because like, what do chefs do? They fucking smoke. Right. So I would go down there like eight in the morning. I would have, I mean, not. I don't remember a single person's name from this program. I had this guy that taught us, and I was telling people I was in restaurant school, I started being like, yeah, I'm in the uh, NYU restaurant school. They'd be like, you're in the NYU hospitality program? I was like, well, the NYRS. <laughs> it's like affiliate, but it was not an affiliate. This was like, um, this was like, uh, what's like the beauty school? Mm -hmm. You know, that, yeah. what's that thing, that everyone, like the one we were growing up? But it was like one of those things, like those like, you know, like it wasn't even an associate's degree. It was right. Like, you're going to basically like um, ITT tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. You get your tools. Yeah. So the whole final project was to create this business plan for your restaurant. So I was like, oh shit, now it's on. So like that was cool for me because I could like go up there and pitch the whole shit and present it. So I came up with this idea for this restaurant called Element. Because you know, like in the late 90s, yeah. like, every restaurant had like the one lemon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all this shit. I was like, did Element. you put a period after it? I think it was dot dot dot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just the so, essence of element. Yeah, element. So, like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so I, I put this whole business plan together, and they were like, now you got, like, the food part of it, too. These were all, like, chefs learning front of house. That's what I came to realize. So I was like, wow, fuck. They were like, you got to put every dish you're going to have, the method of cookery, your food costs. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, now I'm in over my head again. So I paid this chick in my class. And she did my whole thing, and like they, they were gonna give, they were gonna pass me regardless. It yeah. was like if you go, you pass, right? Um, so I presented, and I had this whole thing, and I left, and I was like, I gotta raise money for Element, and like I remember, <laughs> it was like I remember telling someone like they were like, well, how much money do you need? I'm like four and a half million, <laughs> and I'm like, they're like everyone's like, where were you going for the money? I'm like, I know, you know, I know a bunch of people. Like who the fuck was giving me money? Rishi Akiva, Element. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe. Element dot 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 <laughs> in a baby blue font. And then I made t-shirts. Like I had these t-shirts. I had to make these t-shirts before I went away one weekend. I like went down to the first t-shirt printing place I saw in the yellow pages, made all my friends come down with me, made them all wear element t-shirts. And I and then that was it. Like you I, guys were the least popular people to show up at Hot 97 Summer Jam parking lot. <laughs> in, <laughs> in element. <your> element. <laughs> yeah. In element. I, I have that. I'm going to show you. I have that um, binder with that presentation. That's, That's one amazing. Thing that the girl I wrote. Why didn't no, no, you? Yes, that the girl wrote. Why didn't you use that transcript to get your agency? <laughs> oh, my God. I should have, right? I should have. I got like the food uh, sanitation certificate. All these yeah. certificates through the years. I, there was just at the end of like one Friday, they'd be like, congratulations, Richard. Now like certified in, in uh, foodborne illness. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. So I'll take it. You didn't get into the restaurant business, though. No, no. So what was the next move? Next move was now I've, I now imagine all the kids I did know. So all the kids I did know from like that Fieldston world. Yep. When I left college at eighteen, stayed for the next three years. Right. right. Like most of those people did. Yeah. I had the whirlwind of three years: Miami, partying, booking, getting shaken down from my book operation, restaurant school. I'm hanging with people that. I never grew up with people that no one from that part of my life would know. I'm just in a whole nother world. I'm yeah. out in Same number, though. Same cell. <laughs> now, they're all finishing school. So two friends of mine are at Cornell. One of them is this kid, Noah Kerner, who now is the CEO of Acorns, which Kevin and I invested in. Very successful. He lives in Santa Monica. They, their business is out of Santa Monica, but they raised all their money from PayPal. Really like successful company. Um, and he and this other friend of mine had an idea to start this e-commerce community hip-hop website. This is 1999, right? Wow. Called One Level. And this is when, like, BT had volume and Russell Simmons had hooked. <laughs> oh, my God. And they were all these, like, everyone was raising money for yeah. it. We raised $2 million. We Less than your restaurant. Us, what? <laughs> Less than <laughs> Half my restaurant. But all these other companies are raising $50 million. We raised $2 million. Now, let me tell you, and we, and we put this board of advisory together. Let me tell you who's on our board of advisory. Robert De Niro. <laughs> because his son, Rafael De Niro, was one of my best friends in the world growing up. Still is. Crazy. I was his best man. He was one of, We were both grooms in each other's wedding. He signs on the board of advisory. Um, Q-Tip, who I was introduced to by Mark Ronson, and Q-Tip became a board advisor, and then Heavy D, who became like one of my good friends. And it's funny because Heavy D in 1999, when I was not in the music business or anything, when I was just in this like hip hop thing, was like, kept telling me that I had, he would be like, bro, you have it. Like you have that thing, you have that like gift of gab, bro, keep it up. Wait till Puff meets you, wait till these people meet you, you're gonna love it. I'd actually met Puff before because I went on a No Way Out tour with him four dates in 1998 crazy and I was in this like prayer circle with him and Mace and the locks I was in a hotel room in Boston total little sidebar and the locks came flying into Puff's hotel room to show him the video for money power respect they just got in the video and they were all watching it in the room and you were crazy. there and I was there it was crazy and he had just done the what was the Godzilla movie was it Godzilla yeah oh guys oh the um yeah. yeah, and and oh, the, the single with Jimmy Page or yeah. whatever. Yeah, so Jimmy Page. So he brought me and my friend into his limo in Boston and played us the Jimmy Page single. So like, I had known him a little bit. And Wait, did you tell him that the single was garbage? <laughs> I was probably like, that shit is fire. <laughs> that shit is fire. <laughs> so, um, and you know, you always hit him with like, yo, what are you sampling right there, bro? What are you sampling? <laughs> oh, I heard that shit. Is that live? Yeah, like the same formulate questions. That shit live? Yo, you write that shit. <laughs> Um, 
so then uh, so that was crazy but I remember Heavy D's like yo you gonna be just, just, and he just gave me so much confidence that dude was incredible everything I asked him he probably was like man I don't know what the fuck this guy's asking me like this e-commerce e but he just was so supportive of me he like believed in me it was really and I, every time I ran into him in LA when he moved to LA he was always asking me about you know I've been with my wife for so long so she's just been in it with me she's yeah. seen she, she's, how long have you been with her? It's 2018, right? Yeah. So 18 years. Wow. I've been married for 14, been with her for 18, and we like went through all those like journeys that you go through when you're single and you're in the 20s. Mm -hmm. We were just married. Like we we partied together, we wilded out together, we had tough times, we had good times, and we had kids, and my businesses were all fucked up. She had to go through everything with me. Wow. Where I would probably be like, this is the one. You know, like yeah. this is the one. I mean, this is going to make us, and like, oh shit, this isn't the one. Yeah. She knew when I wanted to be in the restaurant business. She knew when I wanted to own a hip hop website. So we raised $2 million, blew through the money. We threw a big launch party in um, the Hamptons on Memorial Day weekend. And that was actually our like going at a business party. Because <laughs> I think the shit ended like two months later. But Q-Tip and Mark DJ. Um, that was where your budget went. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a good party though. It was popping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was in and Max Glazer. Remember Max Glazer? Sure. Yeah. Like opened. It, it was Rihanna's DJ, right? Is that? I think. Right? Oh, I don't know. Next laser? Maybe not. I have no music knowledge of the last five years, so <laughs> it's happened in the last five years. But um, Jessica Rosenblum threw it. Mm -hmm. It was popping. Puff was there. Like it was just. Uh, was he still trying to show you that Godzilla video? No, 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 no. <laughs> it was at Conscious Point, where you know that famous club, and Noah mm -hmm. Jason threw the party. It was fun. But then Lizzie ran over a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. Not that night. Not that night. But it, it, that's where it happened. But that was it. Like that was it. So. That's June, and I bet we were done in August. Oh my God! And we had raised like two million dollars. But in that period, we had had this. We put we got this office on Thirty Eighth Street. We had eight employees. We had these like writers from Vibe and writers from Double XL, and we had videographers and you know. And I was the COO, and my friend was a CEO, and one was a CFO, and like we had business cards, and we did the whole <laughs> shit, and we raised this money. No idea what we were doing, right? These two kids went to Cornell, but really, I, I had no education clearly but i was the one that had i knew right then like i gotta i'm gonna make this a business like i'm the same kid that would make t-shirts for my restaurant i sold toys when i was eight in front of my house i ran a book i would call into sports radio at like seven and pretend i was different people i was just always hustling so um it, like I was like, all right, cool. So we raised two million dollars. I'm gonna make this shit something, you know. So like I was the guy that would go out and talk about it. So in New York circle, like in a really really small circle, in New York, people probably thought, man, Rich got this little dot com shit. Yeah. But really, of all those companies that were raised the money, like from real VCs and real right. institutions, we were probably hands down the last. You know, like we no, were, you guys had Robert De Niro and all of his hip hop knowledge. I know. <laughs> but let me. Yeah. The thing is, we had this whole write up in New York Magazine that was like one level com because we had those names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and we were in like page six in like 98, 99. So people thought that like I, I was onto something that I'd become like from bookie to entrepreneur and I had this company. But I really that, you know, we ran out of our money right away. All these other companies, we didn't sell it for a dollar. We didn't do anything. Right. Right. But something clicked in there that I was like, all right, I want to be, I want to do something. Like I want to, I'm not, I can't fuck around anymore. All right, so I'm like 22 now or 23, and I'm like, I can't do this. Like now I've met this girl who's probably doesn't want to hear about this internet <laughs> company anymore. I, I'd done all the, I'd fucked up in college. I'd bookied. I went to party in Miami. I was doing all these things. I was like, well, what am I still 
obsessed with like what's the constant here and it was like i'm obsessed obsessed with sports like that's everything right so one of my closest friends was selling a show and he didn't know anything either he's 23 but he was also you know he was a little grind he sold the show to radical media yep to do the life which was this tv show on espn where they would follow athletes around in this like you know basically reality tv now but it was diary it was like diary and mtv but for athletes so yeah, it was right. brand new no one had done that at espn and ESPN had never really produced anything outside of ESPN production, so they let Radical Media, which is like this hip, cool production company, produce it, and my friend Jamie had sold it to them. So Jamie calls me, because he's like, well, you gotta produce these segments and be our sports guy, because they knew that I knew everything about every sport. And I had and I had those relationships. Like, I, you know, the fact that I had met Puff, like, and Heavy D and Q-Tip, and I started to meet athletes, and I knew, like, I was hanging out with, like, wide receivers on the Giants. I was just out and about. Yeah. So he was like, you got to help out. So I'm like, all right, cool. So we're this like really small group and ESPN comes and we're sitting in there and ESPN's like, well, who's going to do the music supervision? We only have $250,000 for the music. And I'm like, $250,000? But really what they were saying was, here's $250,000 for 32 episodes. You clearly can't do the music for 32 episodes for $250,000. Now watch us take control of this show again, basically, right? Right. right. So I'm like, Jamie, I'll do it. I'll do it. He's like, what? I'm like, and, and he just got caught, like what I was saying right away. So I'm like, I'll do it. I'm going to do the music. And they're like, you have experience? I'm like, yeah, I ran this music website and I have a lot of relationships in music. And I was like, just a quick question. What happens if I don't spend the whole 250? And they're laughing and they're like, you'll spend the whole 250. I'm like, well, what if I don't? And they're like, um, you keep it. So I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> so that whole 32 episodes, if you listen to it, it's all raucous records. I had Brian and Jared give yeah. me like instrumentals to all the most deaf and Pharaoh and High and Mighty. I had all Mark Ronson's beats that weren't going on like Nika Costa albums. I had Alchemist beats. I would go to all these like indie labels and be like, I'll get your music on ESPN, give you credit at the end of the show. I'll give you 500 bucks. You got to sign off on everything. And I did it for 32 episodes. And the number one response for that show was the music. And the theme song turned into the Pharaoh Monch Styles P record. Right. Life. Oh yeah. My God. And then so I was like, the shit was popping. So I was like the music guy. So in between seasons, Radical Media gave me an office to stay there. And they told me, can you do the music for this uh, commercial we're doing? Can you do the music for this? Dave Meyers uh, Honda commercial. Can you do this for this Chris Milk Nike commercial? Can you do it for this new show on ESPN, this new show on VH1? So they would give me like, here's 50 grand, here's 20 grand, here's 15 grand, here's 50, you know, 50, and whatever I didn't spend, I could keep. So I would go to these producers and I'd go to these artists and they weren't making any money. So then they started saying, will you manage me, will you manage me? All of them were just like, beat slingers for the most part except yeah. Mark Ronson was like yo come manage me and, he, and I was like alright but if I'm gonna do this you gotta let me have your DJ shit and he was like I know but I got a DJ manager and I was like nah man like there's no way I can come just do your beats like you gotta let me in on the DJ shit so he let me in on the DJ shit and you guys know like at that point he was the guy yeah well, did you consider yourself a music supervisor did you consider yourself like just a that's connector that's what I was saying what I was doing like cause I you know when you I was big in the title so like at that point I was calling myself a music supervisor yeah that's always been really important to me like I really feel like it's imperative to when someone asks you what you do to be able to tell them what you do yeah. like if I meet someone and I'm like so what is it you do and they're like well you know and I'm just like man I can't listen to shit mm -hmm. I don't know what you're talking about I want to know exactly what you do so my thing was like I felt that way early I wanted I want my goal is not to be famous I just want everyone to know what the hell I do like I want to be recognized for the work I do because I know I bust my ass and mm -hmm. I know that I can really work hard and I hustle and I can conceptualize things, execute it and get it done. And I feel like I'm the best at it. And I feel like I can get in a room with anybody 
talk and get it done. So even at 24, 25, I just felt like if I'm in the room, I can get it done. Now mm -hmm. I was always a bit like enamored by Puff and Jay and Damon and Stout, and I knew them, but I was enamored by them because I was like, man, these guys. Like I thought basketball players were cool. These guys are fucking cool. Yeah. So when they let me in that world, I I knew I wasn't them yet. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I knew I was the shit in my mind, but I knew I they were the shit. So I was kind of like, all right, well, let me fall back a little bit and play my place and be like their young guys. So it's like I really never, you know, maybe I, I left opportunities on the floor in some ways because, you know, a lot of people in my position would have been like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep building my own shit so I can be like them. I was like, no, let me just be around these people. I'm going to breathe so much of this like positive influence and this mentality and this like genius mm -hmm. that I was like you know especially for me with like Jay and Stout like you know and, and John Manili Jay's manager who yep. took me around really early and like really pumped me up and saw that in me too and let Jay and all them know so when I got to be around all that is when I was like well hold up I know I can get anything done and I want people to know what I do but right now I'm cool with people just knowing I'm cool with them you know what I mean? So yeah. I started managing Mark and going to the clubs with Mark. And then I was managing his sister and I was managing D-Nice and Q-Tip. And I had this little DJ business popping. Like, I really did. Like, they did a story on the cover of New York Times style section on me in 2006. You guys look it up, man. It was just about the celebrity DJ. Mm -hmm. and, and, like, that shit was a real business. I was By the way, money. was that New York Times style section what, like, turned your parents? And they were just like, oh, we get it now. Let um, me see it. No, I will say this. My, um, in all that, like they never, I never got the talk like, what are you going to do with your life? Right. They, mm. they, it wasn't a Twisted knew, Sister video for you? <laughs> no. They knew I, I you know, like went to the beat of my own drum. Like I, shit was just going to be different. Yeah. You know? mm. Like they knew it, but they knew that when I put my mind to something, I like, I knocked it out of the park. Like I had, I had an idea for a business when I was 11, which was called Lawyer Kid. And I thought that I could be the lawyer to kids who felt that their parents were like, that there was injustice in their house. Wow. Wait, did your parents look at you and be like, hold on, like what is going through this kid? Like, do, do no, we- I think they appreciate it in much- They weren't like, yo, Rich has a problem with us and he's like not just no, projecting. No, I think they knew I had a problem with them because my, like I told you, my house was a little fucked up. So yeah. they, I think they were like, wow, but look at this, look how he's channeling what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So I think they appreciated that. You know what I'm saying? Or like every time I'd buy a new toy, I would really try to flip it the next mm -hmm. day. And I think they thought that was weird, but like, um, that I don't know why my mind worked like that. I was like, oh my God, I know so-and-so wants that Cabbage Patch Kid. If I get it from Baronet's on 83rd and Broadway, I could probably sell it for like $5 more. And I'd be like, if I have $5. Yeah, make it tougher for the kid who wants to <laughs> the dial that badly. Yeah, I know. And who wants, I mean, what, yeah, exactly. Um, so, and baseball cards, like, you know, I was like flipping. I always just wanted to do that stuff. So, you know, I started managing all these producers and artists, but the only thing that was really sticking, like I had a bunch of producers and I was in the shit and I think it was really more about Mark and I, you know, like we had signed some artists we were developing, then none of them made it. We had signed some producers, none of them made it. But Mark and I started, you know, Mark was popping. Mark had Nika Costa, he did his own album. We had songs with like Freeway and, yeah. and all these different So artists. 2006, you're saying? Is that when Here Comes the Fuzz came out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's when Mark and I had fully um, wait, wait, wait. Now, that can't be when who, to, Here Comes the Fuzz came out because Fade to Black came out in 2003 Three, or four, right? And I produced that, and that was after. Oh, right. He had a lot of, oh, yeah. yeah this Mark, is all coming together. Yeah, yeah, at Radical Mark, Media and, we and did, his We beats. did the Fader mixtape. Mark's album came out in 2002. Yeah. So I was managing Mark from the show. 
still doing music supervision with Radical Media. Yep. Managing Mark, a whole bunch of producers that weren't making it, but Mark was driving my shit, and Mark and I had, Mark was like the guy, the it kid, so we had our little thing. Managing other DJs, getting paid from clubs, and I was just hustling. Were, were you a part of, um, is it All I Do or Alito? Yeah, that was me and Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we took this studio down on Mercer Street, 19 Mercer, and then like we signed Rhyme Fest, yeah. and Daniel Merriweather, and you know, everyone that was in there was talented. They really were. Like, um, in my studio throughout that run, Amy Winehouse did Back to Black. Like, Amy's first trip to New York, she landed. Me and Mark took her to see United 93, the most depressing movie ever. My like, God, yeah. what? I know, the Tribeca <laughs> Film Festival. And Shout out to oh, Robert De Niro. De Niro. And then yeah. me, Amy, and Mark walked uptown. And, like, that was, like, my first experience hanging with her. Like, way frank it without, she hadn't written one song. And we, like She had the beehive and everything? Yeah, and just walking through. Like, no one knew who she was. Nobody. Adele came to the studio. Adele does not have more than one or two duets in her life, and one of them is with our artist Daniel Merriweather on his album. Adele was in our studio. Lily Allen, Santi Gold, you know, Rhymefest was writing in there. Then Wale. Wale, yeah. Wale. Wale was cracking at that point. We just had a great vibe in there. Nobody was like, well, Amy and Adele were superstars, but everyone at that point was, were not. We just had a cool little thing going, and Jay is like the best at recognizing what is happening. So even though we had no artists out of there, I had produced Fade to Black, got to know Jay really well, was hanging with him all the time, or you know, probably in my opinion, I was hanging with him all the time. I was probably following him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and were you uh, at the show? I was at the show, which is funny, but I was at the show. I had got tickets through someone through Carlene. No, through Just Ski and Richie Akiba, who yeah. were best friends with Jay and all them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I knew Damon, but I didn't really know Jay. And um, I was at the show, and but I didn't film it. Then a little while after, Manili had all the footage from the thing. Knew I was at Radical Media, right? So I'm at that point. I'm at Radical Media, and I'm still with Mark and all these producers, and I have Alito. Yeah. And John's like, well, let's do something Radical Media, and that's when I brought Fade to Black. We did the... So they had the footage without any distribution deal? Yeah. Wow. We brought the footage in. We edited it into this movie. Michael Warren um, directed the movie. He actually just did the um, Hillsong movie. You know? Wow. Yeah. Oh, my wow. God. Um, and uh, That's Lenny's friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lenny's, yeah. Yeah, Lenny's really tied in there. So then um, what happened was I'm doing both those things. I'm really close with Jay. And then it hit me. Like, I got to work with this guy. Like, I just got to work. So I, I started bringing stuff to him. Brought Wale, brought Daniel Merriweather. He didn't want to sign either at Def Jam, but he knew Mark and I had something, and he knew Mark was, you know, he had known Mark forever. Mark was DJing Biggie's birthday in 1997. Yeah. So um, what happened was Jay was like, I said, let me, you know, can I come work at Def Jam? He's like, just wait. I'm actually going to do something else. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll wait. You know, this was like towards the end, and he was looking out for me because I would have signed a deal with Def Jam. Right. I waited. Mark and I had our thing, and then I went over to work at Rock Nation, and I came with Mark, you know, Mark let me manage him through there, and Wale then turned into a management client, not through the label. Right. And Daniel Merriweather, too, and then a bunch like Samantha and Q-Tip and D-Nice. I brought them all over as, like, that was my management roster. But really, like, they're all incredibly talented. Yeah. But that wasn't, I don't think, why Jay brought me, right? You know, like, we he had seen, like, the hard work I put into the movie. We were hanging all the time. Um I was always calling him, like, I want to bring Wale, I want to bring Daniel. I brought Amy Winehouse up there once. I remember one night, we were, um, I brought her to the pig, I think the first night they met at the mm. Spotted Pig. or one, you know. Did you guys play Jenga? Oh, I played Jenga there all the time, man. <laughs> all the time. I mean, the parties we had out there were cracking, but I don't even want to talk about yeah, that yeah, these days. Um, yeah. And then I went to work at Rock Nation. And it's funny, what I realized right away when I went to work there was everything I had done to hustle my whole life. And... In some ways, 
like skip steps and cheat the system a little bit. You know, and looking back on it, like I think that's what I, I learned a lot from that time. But like I was working hard, but I feel like like, you know, thinking it back to it, like, well, what happens if I don't spend the money on music? That's what my thought process was. It wasn't like, let me make this the best production there could be. It ended up that I did really good work and they really like credited me for the music on that show. But it was still, that's where my mind was at, you know? And that was the wrong thinking. It was pretty short, but I didn't have money. So that's how I was thinking about it. When I went to work at Rock, I realized how much harder I had to work. I just realized that like for everything I had done, I had done that like to, to make an equivalent to a basketball player. It'd be like if a basketball player was averaging 20 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and the coach is like, man, you are not, you're not playing to the best of your ability. And he'd be like, but I'm, I'm averaging 27 and four. But his potential was a more efficient 24, could probably do double digit rebounds. Is average, he is averaging four turnovers a game, so he should cut his turnovers. He's not shooting 80% from the free throw line. So you only see points, rebounds, assists. So it's like, I could say, well, I'm managing Mark and Q-tip and this, but I really wasn't like the best version of myself. And every time I thought I was, I would go to Jay and he would really, like in the most practical terms, like explain to me how much better I could be doing. So at the time, it's easy. It's so easy to look back at Rock Nation now and be like, oh, of course, this was a given. But it wasn't a given. This was a brand new operation and out of the traditional like system. Yeah, we system. were at RockAware offices. It was like. Still are. <laughs> Tata. Yeah, well now, yeah. but now it's right. Yeah. 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 Tata, Jay Brown, Manili, Jay, me. Juan. Juan wasn't there yet. Mm. Uh, me. Um, Carlene, there was a few people there, um, and it was all coming together. Well, I, but like, how did besides working with Jay, like, how was it sold to you? Did you understand it what didn't it was have going to be? be sold? For me, it was like you know, you grow up. I became aware of having a career and identity in a business when Bad Boy, Rockefeller, uh, Rough Rod, that shit was insane. Like mm -hmm. that, like that inspired the shit out of me. Like to have. To know that them and their friends and them and the people they went to war with had this brand that people in the world were screaming about now. Like, again, like I put on ice how much I wanted to be in sports. I mean, think about it. I went to work on the life because of sports. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm done with all this other stuff. Let me go to where I want to be in my life is sports. Right. And then by starting to do the music for that show it opened my eyes again to the music business and it's not that i like studied liner notes as kids i'm not fans of music the way you guys are i don't care like i know it sounds messed up but i it's like i almost have to remind myself because i never really loved music like that but I is that what it. made you successful in music maybe but i you know honestly i think i was just uh, successful at building my not brand, because that I mean I don't have a brand, but building my. It's 2018. Everyone has a you brand. Are, no, you right, are your right, own right, brand. Yeah, all right, yeah. but you, I, yeah. I, you know what I mean. I don't. <laughs> I don't feel that way. I was just building like my experience and, yeah, and, right. and learning, and building a network and learning business and all the things I had not done. Like I was just learning all of it. I was understanding law and business and everything. And I really am a sponge. So I really, once I got into it, I was picking it up. And then when I worked there, when I got the opportunity, I was like, shit, this is his second. This is his like this is second act. This yeah. is crazy. I'm not missing this shit. So people that were like, "Well, why don't you just do this shit on your own? You got a leader." I'd be like, "Man, stop!" Like, right. I got 
me and Mark and we got a few artists and we're in the studio and we had a moment. It was cool. Right. In New York, it was just, you know, Mark would do his table 50 with Q-tip. We had a cool little thing. We weren't raucous. Like, right. we don't, we didn't change a game. By the way, I we, mean, it was no one level, you know? We, no. <laughs> we we went to that SOB show that was a Mark Ronson uh, With all those guys. Showcase, yeah. yeah. That was yeah, a big we, show. Yeah, we had, a th you know, we would do that. Like, we threw a show at Highline Ballroom and Drake was trying to get in and Cuddy and friend. We had Did a you nice let him in? Say, Jay and Beyonce came in. They all came. Like, we had a yeah. nice little moment. We had... We had a show where Will Smith, Justin Timberlake, Jay, Beyonce, Drake, Cuddy, you know, they were all like, and it was just because we had a nice little city thing going. Yeah. Great, like great group of girls in the room. We just yeah. had a nice little thing in the city. Mm -hmm. So, but that's what it was. So I levels. Was, but I knew that that, I wasn't naive enough to think that I was sitting on like my own, like this wasn't Damon Dash being like, I'm not going major. You know, right. Like, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, uh, me and Jay-Z and Biggs are changing the world. I knew like, this is why I did all this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like we had signed Wale to Interscope and mm -hmm. they gave us a joint venture on him. We had signed Rhymefest and Daniel Merriweather to Jay Records and they had given us joint ventures for them. But in my opinion, it they, all three of those artists were incredibly talented, but it also had to do with this like conglomerate we had of Mark and I and Mark a lot, right? It was like Mark was Pharrell or Tim, he was the producer behind these guys. He happened to have a good manager in me, but I don't think there was like, we gotta sign Rich, he's the music guy. I just think they thought, I just like Heavy D saw it, or Jay, they just thought like, all right, you know, Jimmy was like, ah, this guy, I get it, this guy's talking business with me. And Mark was Mark. Yeah. So So what was the learning curve like at Rock Nation? Hard, honestly tough. And yeah. it was weird because I was so close with them, but they're savages in business, you know what I'm saying? In a great way. So mm -hmm. it's like I'd be like, yo, I want a raise. He'd be like, a raise? Like <laughs> you feel like we're overpaying you. And I'd be like, what the fuck? I, no one's ever said that shit to me. Like booking work for me, hustling on in music. When I say hustling, mind you, tell your your 350,000 listeners. That's right. Yeah, that's that right. I'm not talking hustling. I'm yeah. talking like my version of it. Right. Um, flipping toys and shit. Yeah. Right? Right. yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, I understood that all of that was to like be in this moment, but all of that had really worked for me. Yeah. Like for the most part, I was really lucky. Like who fucks up in college, becomes a bookie, gets shaken down, you know, becomes a music supervisor with no experience, gets two joint venture deals at record labels with no experience, is managing the biggest DJ in America, no experience. So I'm just doing. Don't sell yourself short. At one point, you were a restaurant investor and a COO at yes, a website. This so this is after Element. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so like, I was like, shit. What do you mean? I thought Jay would be like, yeah. What do you? What's your raise? Like you're my guy. But they were like raise, and I was like, oh fuck. And I realized like. It was cool what I was doing, but I had to really bust my ass. I had to like really work and like, you know, and I it needed money then. Like, I, you know, I was in the city. I was like, this is crazy. Like, but I wanted there, like I wanted it so bad, but they really, it was like, you know, when you like do something and you run into your like parents, you're like, yo, is my room clean now? And they'd be like, nah, not clean yet. So I'd be like, yo, uh, I just got, um, you know, Solange a, a deal with Absolute for $100,000. Our commission is blah. And they'd be like, all right. I'd be like, man, this shit's still good. <laughs> but then it started making sense to me, like thinking about it like, all right, well, payroll tax and expenses and this, so what I'm making, what, shit, that's nothing. They ain't going to give me more money. So I just realized I had to keep grinding. And like, then I started really having a, I felt like I was having a moment in music, which is funny when it all switched. Mm -hmm. So like now I had, was the A&R and J. Cole's album on his first album. And like, I don't even think of that as like anything. Like, 
And J. Cole clearly is a, is a god. Like, I, I knew he was special the second I met him, right? The second, I mean, I was leaving Jay-Z's house. I was watching football with him. I was, I started to earn their respect a little bit of music. And Jay's like, let me play you this song. It was Lights, Please. And like, wow. come on, I, I, you just, yeah. I knew J. Cole was special. And, um, but I'm not saying like, I knew like I had the ear. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I met him and I knew he was the shit. Like, yeah. Loves basketball. His God is so like strong in, in his vision, his belief, his crew loves him and supports him. Their whole energy around them was incredible always. I just right. wanted to be around those guys, um, even though they were so many years apart from me. So I, I was just like, so I was A&R on his album, was managing Solange who- Wait, by the way, is it hard to A&R, or is it easy to A&R J. Cole's album because he does all the production himself? Well, listen, my, when I say A&R, like he had Mark Pitts, Jay-Z, <laughs> his crew, I was like the business A&R, mm -hmm. facilitating samples and this and dealing with no ID and dealing with the studio. Missy Elliott. And and I'm in the studio with, with Cole and telling him what I think, mm -hmm. but I know Cole's like, all right, yeah, that's Rich's advice. Like, <laughs> I'm not listening to him, you know? Right. But, I would, but at that point, him and Jay weren't talking as directly all the time, so I was like, bring Jay a song. And I don't like Trey songs on that hook. I don't like the way Trey delivered that hook, tell him to go back to it. I was in that, so it was a real thing. I was in the middle of it, but I didn't like creatively put yeah. together right. the project yeah 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 but but back to Solange sorry well but what just so you know what's funny about me and I honestly believe this and I'm starting to get a little cockier now as I get older because I actually think I'm really now starting to fucking do it yeah mm -hmm. and I feel like it's cool a lot of people like Kevin always tells me to like talk that shit because I'm not that guy but I feel like it starts to so I'm gonna talk that shit for a second Let's yeah go. if Kevin says so then do yeah, it yeah when I think about it, though, do you know how many people would still, with their Twitter bio, would be like A and R J Cole, like <laughs> that's that was like a thing that I did. It was just on the list of these things that I've been a part of. But I don't, or like producer of Fade to Black, A and R J Cole album. They would write that now on their Twitter bio, and it'd be 15 years since that shit came out. For sure, yeah. right? Yeah. So sometimes I'm like, you know what? I did A and R his fucking album, but. <laughs> I just don't look at it like that. I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't claim in any way to have like have discovered anything. I just was a part of it. But isn't that sort of the stunt right there? Yeah, like, where you're just like, yeah. I did it and it doesn't even matter to me. <laughs> no, because, but I guess maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. If, that's, if it sounds that way, then good. But yeah. I mean, it's just like, I, I played at that part point, I was a part in it, you know? Yeah. So I just played a part in it. Um, but, you know, and then we had, Wale had a, a, a label going on and he had just done an ambition that shit was like first week whatever i was managing meek who like i knew meek i wanted to manage the second i met him because i was like meek walks like a ball like you know like jay yeah. said like walk like a ball player i'm like meek is the baddest motherfucker in this room like yeah his swag was on a trillion when i met him and i was like i love this kid like i want to be around him his boys were insane like amazing i just loved it yeah their energy got me so excited to work with them um and it's funny because I actually think I was at like the growing pain stage for a lot of artists when I was working with them. Like Cole was struggling. He had his vision with A&R. Meek was like, he was popping, but like, you know, Meek was the biggest artist in the street, but he had to get his infrastructure and everything together. Wale is always stressing, right? Right. Um, and I was always in that with him. Solange, I was managing her at the part when she was like, really evolving into her own brand. She always was her own thing, but really taking that next level. But I wasn't there for like the smash, but she put an Instagram post out like a month ago and thanked a bunch of people in her life and thanked me. And yeah. I realized like, yeah, I played a part in it. Again, I just played a part in it, but yeah. I had a little thing going at that moment in music. Were you at the, um, 
Were you at the listening at uh, Electric Lady for Meek's first I project? Threw it, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I threw it. Meek Will was Smith so late and... that Will Smith and Jay left. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah Victor yeah. Cruz and Victor yeah. Cruz was my guy, so he came with me, and then um, Jay and Will Smith came and they left because yeah. Meek didn't show up. I remember, yeah, until late. Um, but by the way, the feeling when they played the intro in yeah. that room, Angie Martinez, everybody, it was crazy. But that's what crazy. I'm saying. I threw that whole thing. Like I was just those. These were my things. Like I did it, and I was like, help. You know, I was. So now I'm like on tour at MMG and like doing this and like, but I, what I will say is I realize I was realizing then that I didn't love it the way they loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't love music. I didn't, I loved the energy of Meek and Ross and Solange. I just like you know I just love. She's like a dear friend of mine. I'm at her wedding. This is my friend. So I loved that shit. I loved it, but I didn't wasn't passionate about it. I was passionate about sports. So. I met Victor Cruz and I started hanging with him and he was friendly with Lenny and he was like in the Rock Nation world a little bit, but he didn't really know Jay. And I remember I tried to tell him I wanted to manage him and I said to Jay like, um, well, Wale actually introduced me to Victor Cruz. He knew I was a big Giant fan. They just won a Super Bowl and we were at a Grammy party and like hmm. Wale brought me over to him and I was like, you know, yeah. it was my guy. So I said to Jay, um, I want to manage Victor Cruz. And he said, well, hold up. I got something. And when was the last time in my story he said that about Rock Nation? So now I'm like, oh, shit, he got something. I got to wait again. They just told me later on they had Rock Nation Sports. And um, Juan, like, was incredible. Juan and I always talk sports. And Juan told me. He just like it was amazing. Juan just was like, bro, you're going to be my vice president of sports. Like, and that was the first time in my life that someone had, like, really you know without me having to fight for it someone had just been like you know what i appreciate what you've done i see it and juan really did that and jay supported it and always obviously you know juan and jay have to be in cahoots with it but like juan really empowered me he was like yo sit in this meeting talk you run the meeting we're sit with geno smith we're sit with robinson cano sit with whoever you run the meeting so and, and i was just like shit how in god's name did i get so lucky to jump off the tracks of sports like 12 years earlier when I was doing the life and now I get a second chance to do what I love. As soon as I sat in a meeting with an athlete, I was like, this is where I was supposed to be my whole life. I understood the business of sports, the collective bargaining agreement, athletes, what they're going through. And I just knew it. It was like, that was what I had my degree in. It was just sports. Right. So now I'm in that business. So it was like, this is insane. So we were all sitting in the room and we were like, well, who should we sign? We're like, we should try to get KD. And I'm like, I could call him. Because I met KD when he was 18. Wale said, yo, I grew up with KD. We so bring him strange. to the Jay-Z show. I said, sure. Brought him to the Jay-Z show. I'm with KD. KD, I said, Manili um, hit me. It was like, Jay wants to meet Kevin. Or not meet him. He already knew him. He said, or maybe they didn't know each other. He was like, bring Kevin to the back. And I was like, all right, Kevin's like, nah, I'm not ready to meet him, man. I don't feel like, you know, Jay-Z's my idol. Again. So I was like, damn, this kid is special. Like, who passes up this opportunity? And knowing Kevin Durant now, think about how you guys see him as a public figure. That feels like it's totally in line, right? Right. Whereas, like, everyone else has been like, yeah, bring me back. Kevin's like, I'm not ready. Right. So I was like, Kevin and I just kept in touch. So, again, that was like a weird foreshadowing like why would someone 12 years younger than me I'm 30 at the time he's 18 mm -hmm. and we come from completely different backgrounds but we just talked ball and caught up and him and Wale you know obviously Wale would always tell Kevin and Victor Cruz like Rich knows everything about sports <laughs> Rich is my fucking guy like yeah. I love Wale you know like yeah. Wale as crazy as he was always went to bat for me always asked about my wife my kids my family you know he drove me absolutely insane but I absolutely love him Still to this day, as much as I did back then, I'll do that's awesome for him. Yeah. You know? um, so, 
we called uh, Kevin. It took a while, but Kevin comes to work at Rock Nation. And now I'm in the sports business. And I remember I was on my way down to D.C. for Kevin's Nike Skills Camp. I told Jay I want to stop doing music. He thought I was crazy. I said, <laughs> I have to stop doing music. I can't answer a phone call with Kevin Durant about Wale or Meek Mill. It's a different world. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he believed that was the right thing to do. But, he again, they supported it, which was amazing. You know, him and Juan really supported that. And I got out of music completely. And it's funny. When I spoke to every one of them to a man, Wale, Solange, uh, Mark had already like fired me at that point. It's funny because Mark's like still my best friend. He's my daughter's godfather, but he fired me twice. <laughs> he fired me. Were those tough conversations, or was it like, oh no, this is coming? No, it was tough. Yeah, the second one was tough. But you know, when you're as close as we were, and again, I don't blame. You know, no, nah, I blame him. I think I was killing it actually. Yeah, but he probably felt, you know, I, he probably felt he couldn't like reprimand me maybe the way he wanted a man like, to talk to the manager. But um, so I, you know, and I had it was like Solange, Meek, Wale. Uh, I don't remember who else. A bunch of DJs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Samantha, D-Nice, maybe. Um, so what's the difference between... No ID I was managing at the time. Because they wow. put me on No ID. Like, wow. They signed him. I didn't sign it, but they were like, you manage No ID. You could have A&R'd 444. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I would have been out by then. <laughs> so so uh, all I told everybody I was leaving in sports, and everyone was like, thank you. Like, we knew. Like, Solange was like, I'm so happy for you. That's like, awesome. They, you know... What's uh, the difference between dealing with music executives and sports executives you don't mean that question come on that's like because you guys are too awesome to ask that question that's like a question i get i would get asked like in an article in sports business we're having a dope conversation who cares about that i don't you know that who i don't even know um but come on man we got this story popping so let me i'll wrap up my whole trajectory so we can tell you where i am now so basically got really deep in with kevin yeah and I told Jay once again, this is why they probably think I'm annoying as shit because I am always changing my mind and always switching up. And I could see where they would think I'm fucking nuts, but they always supported me. Is then I said, Jay, I can't do sports. I just have to do basketball. It was always something with me because I just, my mind's always spinning. So I was like, trust me, basketball, football, and baseball are three different entities. I yeah. can't. It's like being in film, TV, and literature. I got to do basketball. Now, they were doing everything because they owned and run the company. Yeah. You know? But I was in the trenches recruiting and everything and learning all the networks, uh, GMs, and sneaker companies. I had to learn everything that I knew in the music business. I had to learn it quick. Mm-hmm. So now I'm five years in, I know everybody, but five years ago, I only knew certain people. I had to learn the business quick. Right. So got into basketball only. I had a nice roster of athletes. And then again, I went back to Jay, and I was like, yo, I got to work with Kevin myself. Like, I got to just work with Kevin. He was like, what? like, again, I was like, listen, Kevin wants me to just work with him. This is its own enterprise. Just like you or LeBron or Rihanna, this is his own business, and I got to get in it. So at that point, I started running his foundation with him, running all his brand deals. I only worked with him managing him, being his agent, everything. And then another year later, I went back to Jay, and I was like, I'm going to go work for him, um, and we're going to start our own business. And again, they supported me, man. Like, so they're, you know, They always supported my moves every time I needed to move around and do shit. And That's incredible. I went to work with Kevin directly, and now we have our own enterprise. you know. And obviously, we still work with Rock all the time and partners, but... Um, Instead of working directly for them, I work directly for Kevin, and we still work as a partnership. But me and Kevin started his company, the Durant Company, and that's our private equity investments in Silicon Valley, and I've become, like, enmeshed in that world. Um, we have a company, 35 Media, that um, we have a partnership with YouTube and Apple that we're announcing in the next two weeks. Um, have a scripted show that we're working on. It's incredible. And then we have our YouTube network, which is taking it off. And then I'm still managing him and his brands and his life. His basketball is still his agent. 
Um, and we've built this business and big foundation. And that's my job now. And I've never been happier. I'm in the right place. Now I'm like all my hustling and business kind of prowess is that's what I do. I'm a businessman and an entrepreneur and an executive. My business partner just happens to be Kevin Durant. So mm-hmm. now I get to go to basketball games and be in the NBA and be in that world. But I'm really just... And all because Rock Nation wouldn't give you a raise. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe. All because... Um, no, that's not why. But it's because they definitely kept their foot on the gas for me. Like, they put their foot on my neck. Like, they, ne- you know, it was never... And it's funny, because I don't know if they're like that with everybody. I don't know how they are with everyone. But, like, I remember going to, you know, Jay's house and talking to him and trying to ask him for a raise and him explaining to me why I didn't need one. And then going home and Jana, my wife, being like, did you get the raise? I'd be like, no, but... Man, Jay made a lot of sense, though. And like, it, it would inspire me. All yeah. of them. Desiree would give me these talks and inspire me. Juan, like, you know, like, everyone had a different perspective on it. Jay, the most, would always, like, really put things in these practical terms. But everyone, you know, Tata gave me hard times at once because I think they didn't want me to take my friendship for granted or, like, any comfort level I felt in um, what I was able to do easily just because of like maybe some of my skills in business, but really understand real hard work. Like, right. They really wanted you re- to understand it was, it was a business, not a clubhouse. Yeah. Like you exactly. weren't there just because like yeah. you're and friends they, with all these people. Exactly. And they really drew, they, they drilled that home. Like anything, you know, I, I, there's so much that I realize that I'm doing now that I'm kind of running this enterprise with Kevin and I'll find myself like mimicking something that I learned from Jay or watch someone or how you know because it's like i saw it all kind of come to fruition it's incredible man is there anything beyond kevin do you think mm. well again there's already so much beyond kevin in quotes it's just he happens to be my partner in all of it so it's like whereas like you know jay tata jay brown emory all those guys are partners and everything mm-hmm. it just my relationship with kevin grew to the point where i we were doing so much together but it only made sense that we just became partners in everything. So right. if we sell a show or we build out a network or we have a new deal or something or a branded content deal, it's Kevin and I. If I were to decide to open, you know, that element tomorrow, yeah, yeah, yeah. he would be 50-50 partner with me in Element. So that's how Are you ready to give him 50% of Element though? Yeah. <laughs> I give him the whole shit. <laughs> um, how many of his shadow accounts on Twitter do you run? <laughs> Man, um, <laughs> there are no shadow accounts on Twitter. Um, can you just talk about the that time in terms of like free agency? What that was like for you? Because mm-hmm. it's it's a lot. It's a lot on the line. It, it yeah. feels like yeah. Well, and and the reason I asked about like the difference between like executives and music and executives, like you're not going to have a situation like that. Like like while I going to meet with like Todd Moskowitz and Joey Ie to sign over at at Asylum isn't like going to meet with like the Boston Celtics. No. In terms of like the level of scrutiny, stress, and eyeballs that were watching that, I may not have anything that ever parallels that, right? That was like July 4th weekend, and if you didn't know basketball, you knew that that was happening. And that was like the top news story. It was insane. Um, it was the most exciting time of my professional life, hands down, but at the same time, I felt so much anguish for what he was going through. Mm-hmm. So I was really were stressed for him but I was like on a high because it's like um when a pilot like loves flying through a storm or something I really was just like holy shit like this is why I sold toys and bookied and this like yeah. this is like I grew up 
fantasizing about this experience and I'm the captain of the ship now, you know? Or, you know, Kevin's a captain, but I'm the co-captain. You're of the like ship. the pilot of the storm. <laughs> no, uh, the, the plane in the storm, yeah. For sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. So um, it was crazy, but it was, I really, that was like, um, you know, you have like different coming out parties in your life. That was like a big one for me because I felt like, wow, like, I, I, I mean, I ran the meetings, you know, and it's like Pat Riley and Danny Ainge and um, Greg Popovich and Steph Curry, Bob Myers and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green and all these guys and um, me, Kevin, Charlie Bell and his dad. And we're like, and I'm, you know, and we're talking basketball and marketing and quality of life and living, but really basketball. Kevin didn't talk anything but basketball. Not a single solitary question about anything but basketball. Uh, he is so laser focused on the game of basketball. No one will believe it. People think we went there for Silicon Valley or he's ring chasing. That was a quality of life for him and basketball decision. But for me, it was insane. It was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, I just, you know, I felt bad for him. He struggled so hard. But the last day was tough. I The last day, I, I the stress got to me because I saw how stressed he was. Mm -hmm. Like, he was stressed the whole time, but that last day, I was like, gosh, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, we made the right decision. Uh, what was it like when he won that ring? For you? Uh, he won the ring for you? Ring for <laughs> Isn't that sick? Yeah. <laughs> this is why you did all that stuff. I heard that in, like, a timeout with, like, maybe three minutes left, Steve's like, we all know why we did this. Right. It's for Tom. <laughs> it's for Tom. No, but I... Um, <laughs> I... Um, it was amazing. I was just so happy for him and his family. And, like, you know, and he didn't just win. He dominated those five games. He was incredible. <laughs> so that felt really good um, to see. Um, Were yeah. you at the Rucker game? No. 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 It was not. I was in the city and talking to him when that was happening. I, like, those are one of those things where you're like, I can't believe I didn't go. Yeah. Um, I mean, the videos live on forever. But yeah. yeah. You ever see the animated video we did for it? No. It's really cool. That sucks you didn't see it. Where can we find it? Uh, on our YouTube Online? Page. There was a 1996 New York Times Styles yeah. piece. <laughs> go go look on, it up. It was on the YouTube, uh, um, Kevin's YouTube channel. Do you have any thoughts on Lil B? On uh, who? Lil B. Who's a bass god? Yes. Oh, yeah. Bass god. Oh. <laughs> uh, no. I'm glad he doesn't uh, have a, what is it? A curse? A curse, yeah. yeah. A curse. On, I saw that Kevin is no longer, I mean, he clearly, I don't know how the curse Man, why am I going to talk about him? I, I'll, I'll, right? If God forbid he ever heard it, it's just like right. Base God forgive, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, but I he think, did forgive him, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah but so, did he forgive you? That's I the real question. He might not even know who I am. <laughs> he probably has no idea who I am. But whatever he's doing is pretty genius, right? Like, I, I honestly, I don't mean this disrespectfully. I don't know. Does he make music? Yeah. Oh, so I don't know any song he's ever made, but he, right. he's famous as shit. Yes. So he's got. A, he's a little bit of a genius. Like when he put out his list of people that he's putting the curse on a people that he's not. And then Gordon Hayward's like, thanks, base God, I appreciate it. I'm like, this guy is a genius. He's a marketing genius. Like, I need base God to help us. Like, I should, you know what I should do? I should get base God to help us with our Nike camp, like roll out the our KD Nikes. How wow. sick would that be? Amazing. Be yeah. KD 11 curse. Yeah. Oh, with the base God? Yeah. Listen, if you need to get connected to the base God, I have his number. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this. Tell base God I got a really cool idea. I hope you'll do it. You don't, us. you don't tell base God. You, you put it in the air. And base God <laughs> hears it? Yeah. It's like Kaiser Soze. Yeah. It's like Mike Kaiser Soze. Mike Kaiser Soze. <laughs> no, I really like that idea with the base God. I don't know. I, I got to ask Kevin, but I, I really like it.
great. I'm, I'm glad that this yeah. meeting was so, so successful. Yeah. It was just, it was so stressful <laughs> until the last day. <laughs> Jeff and I are the CEOs of It's the Real, and you're the COO, you know? Yeah, yeah I yeah. like it, guys. <laughs> Let's throw a launch party. That's yeah. right. $2 million in. $2 um, million launch party. I'm so glad that you stopped by here and uh, that we have you mic'd better than, uh, than the Bill Simmons podcast. That's by design. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate that. I'll never be mic'd in those podcasts. <laughs> I think this was fun, man. This is a lot yeah, of fun. It was very therapeutic for me. Oh, I'm glad. I feel like that was like, do you guys feel like it was a little bit of a therapy session? For us? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, for we're sure. Jews, so, you know. Every we didn't episode. talk everything's a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. A little Upper West Side apartment. Right. <laughs> we just need like one of those uh, sound machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Totally, yeah. totally. Well, and like a therapy session, our time's up, so. Oh, shit. All right, guys. Yo, Rich, thank Bill you so much for coming through. <laughs> All right, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, fellas. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, you're Jeff. We're It's The Real collectively. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We have 167 episodes, I believe. Jeff, if people want to find out where they can find out more about Eric and Jeff, of It's The Real, of A Waste of Time with It's The Real fame, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L, no apostrophes, no spaces. Go check on all of our old shows, all of our upcoming shows. Any update, they will be on itsthereal.com. Go there today. You can also find all of our episodes for our podcast. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real on iTunes or go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. We are on Stitcher, motherfuckers. Yeah. That is right. We are now available on your Android phone All where we were not before. Yeah. Come to us in 64-bit. <laughs> it is a blessed day that we are now on Stitcher because now people can stop adding us and letting us know that we are not on Stitcher. Right. Go listen to us in slow motion, 8-bit, blurry camera, audio. Yeah. You can always find our music. Go to Spotify. Go to Apple Music. Go to Tidal. Go to Google Play. We are on all of those streaming services. You can listen to Teddy Bear Fresh by It's The Real. Our song Sugar High is at 550,000 plays. And you can listen to that. Follow us at Twitter at It's The Real. Facebook at It's The Real. Instagram at It's The Real. If you want to find us on Snapchat, we are It's It's The Real. If you want to find us on Twitch, we are It's The Real. It's The Real. We haven't used Twitch yet, and we barely use Snapchat. But it's there. Jeff, this podcast isn't going anywhere other than Los Angeles, where we're currently at right now. Actually, we should say that we went to JFK International Airport this morning to fly out here to Los Angeles. And we were walking through TSA. And one of the TSA agents was like, hey, take off your jacket. Right. And then we were like, oh, no problem. But he was also like, I love your podcast to each of us, which is really awesome. So shout out to him. And he's not the only guy from JFK who's told us that he likes the podcast. No. So shout out to all of our friends at JFK TSA. Thank you for letting us get through security unscathed. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Jeff, the goal is for everyone out there to tell one friend or one family member or one doorman or whoever, whoever they want. Go to the grocery store. Tell your local vegetable guy about a waste of time with it. We want to double our audience. We are tired of being the underdogs. We know it starts with us, Jeff. Who do you want to shout? I want to shout out someone who came up to us after the show at SOBs. His name is Daniel Bonilla. That is B-O-N-I-Y-U-H on Instagram, even though it's B-O-N-I-L-L-A in real life, I'm sure. And I had a good conversation with him after the show. I hope he comes out to the next one. And uh, yeah, shout out to Daniel Bonilla from Long Island. Jeff, I want
want to shout out our friend Abigail Weintraub, who has let us graciously record this from her own home here in Los Angeles. She has issues with people stopping by her apartment uninvited, Mm -hmm. but we are not that (laughs) crack-smoking neighbor. We are invited into the house, and we have just taken up her time and asked her to turn off every appliance here in her own home. Yeah, but Abigail is so nice that she has let us ramble on for the last 21 minutes and 13 seconds. Abigail also showed us um, she has a fake butt in her closet. This is true. Abigail also... um, explained why she has an ashtray that is like misshapen abigail also <laughs> went to high school with jamal jamo who's coming up on a future episode and abigail also went to high school with lin-manuel miranda yeah. that's that's what you should take away from this whole thing yeah so, okay. shout out to abigail thanks for being so friendly and so welcoming to us whenever we come into your city whether it's new york city or los angeles jeff as always not for real for real sure sure we'll see you guys next week Brrrah! Sun's out.